values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I am very excited about this interview. I was at an event in leadership and policing, which I got to facilitate a conversation. One of the people on the dais is the uh, SAC, the special agent in charge of the Phoenix Field Office, Akil Davis, and he joins us. Thank you so much for doing this. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to start with, uh, as much as you can talk about publicly, you went into some detail about preparedness for big event security, namely the Super Bowl, and scenarios that you have to go through on a daily basis with everyone involved. Um, and it was such detail and um, compelling to me. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what goes into that in that scenario process? Yeah, specifically when we talk about um, special event security um, and, and the Super Bowl, um, each each event uh, is unique. Now, we, we have the, um, the luxury that we've done this several times here in Arizona. This is our fourth one as we as we discussed. But each one, each year, each you know, seven year iteration presents a new a new problem. Um, the things that we're dealing with in the cyber cybersecurity lane this year we weren't necessarily dealing with in two thousand eight. The things we were dealing with in twenty fifteen, such as um, uh, the two legged threat we like to say, active shooter and any kind of firearms related issues. We're dealing with those, but we also have um, counter drone issues that we're dealing with um, dealing with this year. So the planning for this takes anywhere from 12 to 18 months each iteration. We, we kind of um, uh, after action or review some of the things we did before, see how we can improve upon those. But one of the things we do well here in Arizona is the partnerships. Uh, our partnerships here in the public safety lane is, is very, very strong. So for us to get together and exercise those things and kind of test our, our plans um, is, is very easy to do. And we've been doing that for about the last 12 to 18 months. Um, your story, I, I was reading your bio and I, I was able to hear you speak at that event. The story of you growing up here in Mesa, and um, this is home for you, but you've traveled all over the world with your career. You are a Scottsdale police officer. Is it, do you sit in your position now and wonder how you got where you are and think, I'm just a kid from Mesa and now look at what I'm doing? Uh, Almost on a daily basis. And um, when I don't have that thought running through my head, my friends from, from Dobson High School in Mesa <laughs> will remind me will remind me of that. So I, I, I think about that every time. Anytime I'm driving through the East Valley, I can look around in most street corners and think, you know, I remember when that was a that was a dirt field and we would ride our bikes through there, kind of like uh, the, the Goonies or, or, or something like that. So that's why this job is so so meaningful for me, because I remember that the history, you know, early 80s, all the way through late 80s and early 90s um, in this state and in this area growing up here has just uh, meant a lot to me. And in your capacity as the special agent in charge, you deal with chiefs and leadership all over the valley. And a lot of these people had to be people that were on the departments when you were in Scottsdale. Do you have some of those relationships where you have all kind of grown into re- uh, leadership together? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one that comes to mind is, is Chief Sean Duggan for, for Chandler Police Department. And then obviously Jeff Walther at Scottsdale PD. He and I were on the, on the SWAT team together. But yes, I've been able to kind of make some of those relationships through just growing up, growing up in law enforcement here. The challenges for you, it's got to be immense every year. I was, you know, Barrett Jackson and the other car auctions. Those are big events as well. But the WM Phoenix Open and the challenges that that would, you know, would give uh, any law enforcement agency. But now to put all of that together, is it a strain on your on your agency or do you have the resources around the country where it's never a manpower strain? Uh 
yes and no. Okay, <laughs> will be the will be the short answer. So when we talk about some of the um, the local events that we we handle and participate in every single year, Barrett Jackson Waste Management, we're using our resources here in the the Phoenix uh, the Phoenix Division. Um, when we have the Super Bowl, we now then rely on some help from from the East Coast from our Critical Incident Response Group, and they'll send out folks from Virginia to augment what we already have here. Now those bodies coming from Virginia have specifically been dedicated for the Super Bowl. So that's kind of how the, the work the workload gets gets split. Who makes the I don't know if you're allowed to talk if you can talk about any of this, but who makes that decision if something bad were to happen? Who makes the decision shut it down? Whatever it is. WM yeah. Phoenix Open, yep. Super Bowl. Who is who makes who has the authority to make that decision? So that would be um, basically a, a coordinated uh, decision. We're in unified command for this for this incident so everyone from Mike Sullivan at Phoenix PD to Chief Chief Briggs to our HSI and ATF counterparts so not one single person's going to make that decision um, it depends on what the incident is the size of it and how quickly we can get it contained um, w- w- how that decision would be made and it's interesting to sit in that room and and watch all of you in leadership speak about this but it seems like there truly is a symbiotic relationship where there is a lot of information that's there there are no egos when it comes to information sharing, and you really do work together for that common goal. And I, I, I got to be honest, I've never seen it work this well in, any, anywhere else that, that I've been. Um, really, everybody kind of relies on everyone's expertise and their experience in doing this. So it uh, depends on what the, what the threat is, how quickly we can get it contained, and who's got the best assets and resources in place to handle it. And to your point, you're absolutely right. There is no ego involved uh, when it comes to the interests of the, of the public and keeping people safe. Um, in looking at threat assessment, and maybe this is too much in the weeds for some people, but uh, analyzing what is a legitimate threat and what is it? Because you have so much information coming at your people at once. What is something you have to pursue and what is something that you're pretty sure isn't? Who makes those decisions? How do you train your people to know the difference? Yeah, so our, our folks are, are well-versed in kind of with the guardian threats that have been coming in. I mean, this is something we do on a, on a daily on a daily basis. Um, this is the battle rhythm of public safety and law enforcement in, in 2023. It's only been enhanced because of the, the energy that's surrounding the Super Bowl and waste management. So they know kind of what, uh, you know, by their checklist, hey, this looks legitimate or, hey, you know, we're not so sure on this one, but we still got to run it to ground anyway. So those decisions are made by investigators, our, our assistant special agents in charge um, with the FBI. And then we've stood up um, an intelligence operations center. So we've got experienced supervisory intelligence agency uh, um, analysts there that are running these to ground. And then we're also coordinating with our partners around the around the county at the ACTIC and the MAC and some of the other um, command posts that have been set up. Um, for us, for, especially for us in, in, in this business, this is the time of year we love. I mean, these events are so great. Chamber of Commerce, weather, the money that comes in, the tourism. Now with Super Bowl, it's something special. But for you, it's a huge workload. Do you have a chance? To, do you get to enjoy any of it? Or is it for you, until it's over, you can't take that deep breath? Um It's going to kind of sound a little crazy, but uh, I enjoy all of it. Uh, I really enjoy kind of working with our partners, seeing how this all came together and know that we are just postured in in case something does happen to handle it quickly. But, yeah, we're all kind of on on high alert. Um, There's a lot of resources between state, local, county, tribal and federal resources deployed here to Arizona covering not just the Maricopa County or the metropolitan area, but we've got resources deployed all over the state covering covering threats. So 
it's an exciting time. Um, my only ask is that, that folks coming in bring a little bit of patience with, with them. I think the citizens of Arizona would also ask them to bring their own water because we're a little short on that yeah. right now. Yeah. But, but other than that, it's a great, it's a great time. All right. Well, uh, uh, Keel Davis is with us. He is the special agent in charge of the Phoenix Field Office of the FBI. He's going to be with us for one more segment of the show. Want to talk about some other things the FBI does and some of the things that they want you to be aware of around downtown Phoenix and some rules that are in place that you're going to need to know. We'll talk about that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. In studio with me is a special agent in charge of the Phoenix Field Office of the FBI, Akil Davis. Uh, a couple of things before we move on in topics. Suggestions for people in town that are going to these events. Um, downtown, if it's for the NFL experience at the Super Bowl, WM Phoenix Open, there are some rules, especially for drones and stuff, that people need to be aware of, correct? There are. So a, a, a couple things and a couple messages I would like to get out. Um, first is don't drink and don't drink and drive. Right, that's that's an obvious one. Don't drink and drive. Bring a little bit of patience. But when we're talking about drones specifically, we have been running a no drone zone campaign um, for the better part of the last at least three to four months. But we've been, like I said, planning for for the past year. Um, there is a temporary flight restriction over downtown Phoenix, which starts today at six uh, at, at six a.m. Started today, and then there will be a temporary flight restriction over the stadium, State Farm Stadium, where the Super Bowl will be held starting Sunday morning at 6 a.m. So if you have a drone and you you um, you, you, you enjoy drones as, as a hobby, you know, let's let's leave them in the garage this weekend um, to ensure the safety of, of everyone. And the clear bags. They're talk- Glendale's talking about the clear bags at the stadium, which is a rule for every football game. But nobody gets into that stadium with any bag. It has to be a clear bag and there's limited items, right? That's correct. And as we know, parking is going to be a challenge. So if you get all the way to that gate, and you don't have a clear bag, um, you know, I hope you have an Apple Watch because you're going to get your steps in walking back to your car to dump your stuff to get all the way back in. So just remember the clear bags. And it's all common sense security stuff. It sure is. Yeah, this, you're not going to really see anything that you haven't seen before. Um, you know, no hazardous materials, obviously no firearms or knives. Um, you can't bring in your own alcohol. Those, those types of things that if, you know, if you were going to um, a Coyotes game, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be allowed to bring. So let's shift for a moment and kind of give some people a little bit of insight if if you can um the agency, the FBI, is now tasked with um, stopping domestic terrorism. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the idea in my mind of the challenge has got to be enormous. But being in a border state, does that add to the challenge or change the challenge in any way? No, it, it definitely adds to it. There's just a level of complexity. There really is just the roles and responsibilities that the FBI has is just enormous. And it grows. It grows every year. So when you when you add kind of the, the spike nationally that we're seeing in some of the DT domestic terrorism threats nationally and then the challenges that we're facing at the border. Yeah, when you combine those two it, it definitely makes for a complex and dynamic situation. Um, a lot of people have heard me talk and use the, the, the acronym JTTF, the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Can you talk a little bit about your agency and how you not only work with but aid local law enforcement in this place? Yeah, the JTTF is probably one of our best tools in combating um, terrorism, um, whether it's international terrorism or domestic terrorism. The JTTF is really that that easy button. All decision makers in the Valley and the public safety lane are going to hit that button if there's an intentional act of terrorism um, that occurs. And you have all these um, cleared 
investigators, agents and detectives and sheriff deputies and, and some tribal tribal folks as well that come together to figure out the best way to investigate this crime, put the bad guys in jail. And do, is there a level of training for local law enforcement that, that matches the training for your agents that do this for a living, that their job is domestic terrorism? Do the local law enforcement, the JTTF, go through that training as well? They do. And so there's mandatory classes to take, anything from virtual classes to cl- uh, 40 hours of instruction, uh, classroom instruction. But yes, everybody's kind of operating from the same uh, playbook, so to speak, um, when, when handling this these, these events. And another another uh, part of the work that you do is on, on, on the tribal lands. And Arizona has so many, and they're such great places. I spent a lot of time up on up in Tuba City, up in the Navajo mm-hmm. Nation, mm-hmm. and, and with I work for the Salt River Pima Indian uh, Tribe and their police department. I've done some work work with them in their uh, emceeing some of their events. They're great people, but you do a lot of work on the tribal lands. That's correct. So we have um, a safe trails task force that operates and, and, and works uh, violent crime on, on the tribal lands. 22 reservations in the state of Arizona, something that I was not aware of before having this, this current role, and it's significant. It's almost um, daily that we're dealing with something between outreach or helping our, our partners on, on, the, on the tribal communities. So it's that, that part of our job is is pretty significant and and rewarding at the same time. Um, So before we wrap it up, can you give us what would you say to the public? Because this is the first time in all my time talking about law enforcement and with law enforcement, this is the first time someone that's active with the FBI has been in the studio. What do the people in Arizona need to know about what you do as an agency and what you do here in Arizona? So a couple things. Um, You know, we we do everything from significant criminal violations such as you know fraud uh, fraud against the elderly violent crime all the way to the other side of the spectrum which is your international terrorism and domestic terrorism so you know if i want if if i could get one message out for the folks is that my job is to demystify what the fbi does and how we do it and we do that through various ways but we just started our citizens academy we have three of those running in the state right now one in flagstaff one here in phoenix and then one down in tucson and that is a great way to get a peek behind the curtain as to what we do and how we do it. We also do a, a, a teen academy so we can reach out to those future leaders in our in our local communities and let them know what the FBI does. But we've been here since 1908. Um, our responsibilities have grown exponentially and we're just really here in the interest of the public and keep the citizens of Arizona safe. How long was this a goal for you? Because I remember you telling the story of a family member that's yep. in another three-letter agency. Yeah. But how This has been a goal of yours for a long time. It really has. I come from a law enforcement family, and yes, as you mentioned, my sister works for one of those other those other three letter agencies. But um, it's been something that I've kind of been interested in ever since I got into law enforcement. Really, just having that that reach, not only nationally but internationally. The things that the FBI does just across across the country and across the world um, is, is something that's always kind of drawn me to this 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 line of work. So the 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 ability to come back here in my home state to have this role is just, I just feel lucky every day. Well, I would say that we're fortunate to have you here. So I, I welcome home and uh, thanks, thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate I know it's a busy, busy week. So to take this much time means a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Akil Davis. He is the special agent in charge of the field office for the FBI here in the Phoenix area. I'll be back in just a moment. Strong 
Christian values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. It was a very interesting conversation with Akil Davis, the special agent in charge of the field office, Phoenix field office, the FBI. Um, compelling conversation about a lot of things. Super interesting guy, an Arizona guy, went to Dobson High School, UCLA, played football, and uh, just early in his life decided he wanted to do this for a career and made it happen. So it's a great story, but uh, the respect he has for local law enforcement and the teamwork, and I think it's important to realize the coordinated effort for security for these big events. And the, the great thing about it is, and I said this last night at an event with some visiting uh, public servants, um, it's the backbone really of these events, you know, making sure that the people partying at the open are having a good time, but they're safe. Uh, same with Barrett Jackson, same with um, what you see at the Super Bowl. These are people that uh, they hope you never see them. You know, they're kind of behind the scenes, but they're the backbone of those things. So it was nice to have a conversation with them and and hopefully you learned something. I just thought it was a compelling conversation. I uh, want to shift gears to our economy and what's happening here in Arizona and go now, let's go with home prices. Uh, a national story about how it is around the country. Home prices are down about 5.3% since June. So is it now a good time to buy? Um, we have seen here in Arizona, we're in a unique position because we have a shortage of housing. So if you remember, and I absolutely remember the crash in 08 and 09 and how many foreclosures and short sales there were. And it really took a big toll. But if you look at how far we've come from there, it's a lesson in my mind I'll never forget, which is there was a a cut, a deep cut in the value of homes for a short time. But it came roaring back because of the demand in Arizona. We saw the demand increase. They did some things better. You know, we had no more stated income loans. And, you know, home ownership is something that everybody dreams about. But you also have to be in a position to be able to do it. And a stated income loan, in my mind, is not necessarily the smartest thing to do. Um, and But I digress. The idea of home ownership and when you own a home that it grows in value and it is something that keeps you financially stable for the rest of your life. And, and if you've got equity in a home, you can use that equity to buy the next home. And that's what that's part of the American dream. It's a big part of it. And I think it's alive and well here in Arizona. What we need to figure out in Arizona is how we provide um, adequate housing for more people. And uh, there's we need entry-level housing. We need people that are buying their first home. We also, of course, we love to see the property value grow and then see people going on to the next house and raising a family in nicer neighborhoods. And it, w- w- that's a, what I loved about Arizona when I moved here was there is so much to offer when people come here for the great weather, these big events, that they are able to see that, you know what, for the employees that work for you, uh, there's housing available at the entry level for people just starting out and then uh, middle income, upper middle income, and then people that are very, very wealthy. All of it is available here, and I just think it's a great place to live, and we want to keep it that way. But looking at the economy and some of the things that are happening, uh, Disney had a huge loss in subscribers. They're doing massive layoffs now. There are a lot of people that are saying part of this is because parents are turning away from the new direction they've taken. They want to go back to a more traditional way of doing things. But we'll see what happens with companies like Disney as they try to adjust and losing subscribers. What are they going to do? But they're cutting thousands of jobs at Disney. Uh, NBC and MSNBC staffers are threatening to walk out over layoffs at those companies. I don't know how much of that has to do in those two areas has to do with the economy itself and how much of it has to do with an adjustment. Um, 
Industries change. I was talking with someone recently about how industries change. Um, early in my career here in Arizona, I used to do work at a lot of the link sites, uh, whether it was for AT&T or for other companies where it was like a switch and you would, it was where telephone calls came in. They were connected and switched in these rooms where you heard clicks going on all the time like crickets. And, um, the, you know, that whole industry has changed to digital. Uh, back in the day at the beginning of things, you had phone operators that had to physically connect the calls. And um, that is now a thing of the past. So things in industries morph, even the entertainment industry. How many people are going to see movies on the big screen? How many of them are going with the digital platforms? If you remember, DVDs were a huge thing. Having CDs, now everything is digital with music and movies. How do those industries adjust? You know, when I was a a kid, um, getting an album, buying an album was a big deal. The album cover and the art matter and you just held on, you know, the having those in your hand. We all remember, if you're a little older, you'll remember Columbia House. I was a subscriber. You know, you get 15 albums or whatever, a dozen albums for a penny, and then you're on a subscription where you got to buy them every month. But you, how you built your record collection, and it was the artwork and the album cover. And that's how um, the industry, that's how performers made their money. Bands made their money. The more their record played on the air, the more money they made. They got a cut of album sales. And now with everything available on YouTube and, and Amazon Music and everything else, it's more about touring. And it's more about getting out there and people going to concerts. So the the bigger lesson for all of us is how much of what's happening is changes in the markets and how much of it is adjusting to the economy and people having less uh, of, of income to spend, less discretionary income. And that's that's the concern, I think, for everyone. And that's certainly a concern for me is when you look at what's happening, are people spending less or are they spending different? And there might be a little bit of both. The concern with a slowing economy and the raising of interest rates and things of that nature is that that it does slow the economy down by making it harder for people to spend money. And you don't want to get to a place where you start to see huge layoffs and now people are broke and now you're seeing bankruptcies or you're seeing people go into very, very deep debt. And uh, and that's what we're trying to figure out. Are the policies of this administration, <clears throat> are, they, um, are they enough to keep us – to drop inflation, which we know it's receding some, but not drive us into a recession. That is the biggest concern. Um, what we're going to do next is we're going to talk a little bit on the lines of policy because there's a lot of heat being taken by the administration about part of their IRS policy. The IRS has responded and say, listen, it's not necessarily a, po- necessarily a policy. This is something we're exploring and we're looking for public input. I'll explain to you what that is coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, com- comedian Joe Coy is headed to the Footprint Center on May 5th. Tickets are on sale now, but you could win a pair by visiting the contest page at KTAR.com. I love stand-up comedy, and I love Joe Coy. That is going to be a phenomenal show. Get over to the contest page. You just might win some tickets. Um... 
President Biden is getting shredded online because the IRS is talking about uh, going after workers' tips. It was uh, um, interesting. I want to read this. It said, IRS introduces new service industry tip reporting program. So the IRS is pushing back and saying, hey, listen, this is not a law or a rule we've put in place. We've got this open for public input. But this is a part of what I've been saying. I think that this is going to be bad for people, some people short term. But I think long term, it might be good for all of us. And let me explain why. Um, the, uh, the IRS is uh, – the Biden administration is saying that the IRS is adding all of these employees and no one that makes less than $400,000 a year is going to see a tax increase. Now, they should say income tax increase because we know everybody is seeing a tax increase. But I digress from that point. The more that people that are not wealthy in their own mind say or see in what's happening in taxation and how much uh, how big of a piece of what you actually take home that is, um, the more you see this in yourself. There's two things that I think that po- will happen positively for the for us. Number one is you will be a lot more skeptical of how that money is spent. You'll be a lot more conscious of it. You will be looking at it. You know, if they're taking a significant portion of your income, you now have a vested interest, and you're going to be very concerned that it's spent properly. Now, we're not going to change the de- the definition of what we deem proper. You know, if you and I were to put a list together, and I said I want you to list the top pro- top five Five priorities of the federal government and what they're to do with tax dollars. We might not have all five the same. They might not be in the same order. We might only have a couple of the five the same on the list. But we all would have a vested interest in making sure that they are adhering to that priority, not only priority, but also in stewardship. What we're going to do at the beginning of the next hour is we are going to sit down with uh, Shannon Clancy. She is the uh, CEO of St. Vincent de Paul here in Arizona, and they are a phenomenal organization. And, And I want to make sure I'm very clear about this. When you hear me giving political opinion and then talking about these organizations, I have no idea what their political leanings are. They are a political. This is about helping people. But my point is I look at these private organizations and I say they are great stewards of people's money because it's a donation. These are people giving of their own heart. So, A, they want to be good stewards because it's you know it's coming from the heart from people. And they want to be good stewards because if they're not, those people will donate somewhere else. So there is a, there is a vested interest in them being good stewards of the people's money. If your money is taking out in taxation, the federal government does not necessarily have the same sense of urgency in being good stewards of those dollars. I think all of us should agree, no matter what your priority list looks like, that the federal government should do a better job of not wasting the American taxpayer dollar. If they could get rid of waste and they could get rid of redundancy, we wouldn't have to change any programs. We'd save billions and billions of dollars. That's not an exaggeration. So – The IRS and the huge increase in the number of employees they have, we've been told by the administration, is because they're going after after rich tax cheats. 
And they've got a program that talks about going after the tips in the service industry. Well, that those two things do not coincide. They just don't. And it is more oversight of the average person. So if you work in a service industry where you get cash tips, but what about people that get make money on apps? What if you sell on eBay? What if you sell on Craigslist? What if you uh, if it's an app driven platform for you where you're paid? What if money is exchanged with you in um, whether it's. uh, well, Zelle, I guess, is through a bank, but well, you know, a cash app, Venmo or PayPal. Um, what, what do you do then? If you sell somebody something and they Venmo you the money, uh, they're going to make sure you report that income. That's not going after the wealthy people among us. That is just that is another way to get a revenue stream. Many of it from working class Americans, people that have a side hustle going to try to make ends meet. And so this is where I think it would benefit the country is when everybody sees how this works in this way, whether you're making $40,000 a year or $400,000 a year, that the burden, we all should pay something to live in this great country. But when you start seeing what the burden does to people. You know, they talk about billionaires, and the president said during the State of the Union address that there are about a thousand billionaires in the U.S. Um, a thousand people out of what three hundred and thirty million plus people in this country. It's not a it's not a big amount of billionaires. Well, two things about that. Number one is. It doesn't matter if you confiscated 100% of their wealth. It's not going to help pay off our debt. We are too far in debt. This is going to take the entire American public and some of their income to pay off our debts. This is where the government has put us. Both parties, by the way, not just the Democratic Party, both parties. But you also have to look at the idea of punishing wealthy people. I'm not a fan of punishing success. I'm just not a fan of it. That we used to hold people that made a really – because I believe that wealth follows success. If you're really good at something, it makes you wealthy because you're really good at something. You're the best chef in town, makes money in their restaurant. It, you know, Whatever it is, you're the best electrician in town, you're going to be wealthy. If you're the best wide receiver in the NFL, you're going to make money. So I think wealth follows success. And we used to hold successful people up with high regard and say if you work hard, you can do that too. Now what we do is when you cross the threshold of being very, very successful, you're demonized for having stood on the shoulders of other people and you didn't build that and all this other stuff. And I just think it's the wrong message to send. Everybody should pay to live here and pay their fair share to live here. There's no doubt about that. And there are some that don't. It should be fixed. But um, you can't just demonize people. There are people – as a matter of fact, the vast majority of wealthy people that I know are some of the most benevolent, philanthropic people I've ever met. I am very excited about our next conversation. Shannon Clancy from St. Vincent de Paul is going to join us, and we're going to talk about a partnership with the city of Phoenix to try to diminish homelessness and get people in homes. I can't wait to talk about it next.